Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Jennifer Roth. I accepted Jesus on our way home from church. We were almost to the bridge. I don't know what it was. And I just turned to my mom and I was like, hey, mom, uh, is there any way I can accept Jesus? And she turned around to me because we were stopped at an intersection. And she said, yeah, let's pray. And I've been a Christ-following man since then. So in seventh grade, I was in a history class, and they were just talking about all of the different religions in the world. And during that time, I kind of started to doubt God. Just in the back of my head, I was always faithful to Him. But after I kind of realized, well, there have been so many times that God, if He wasn't real, wouldn't have saved us or helped us, and that yet He provided for us. So I realized that, and I've been faithful just because of all those things that He's done for us. When I was in sixth grade, I got sick with cancer. I did have a lot of questions. Most of them when I first got sick were, was like, God, why would you do this to me? I've loved you my whole life. Why would you do this to me? Um, but throughout my journey, I've really seen like, God did this because he loved me. And that sounds really weird that some, God would give you cancer because he loves you. but. It really helped me, and I feel like I possibly can help other kids who go through that to get to know God. When I was sick, some of the things that God did to help me was give me peace and comfort when I was not feeling the greatest. I would be in pain, and even just that five minutes of me feeling peace was just enough. That helped me to know that God cared about me because he would just help me through that with that comfort. I would try and go around the hospital when I was inpatient and just say, hey, God loves you, God loves you, and just try and spread those words throughout the hospital and hopefully help people come to know God and just help them possibly have that kind of peace as I had, as well as maybe help them become a Christian and get to know God if they didn't make it. I have a few friends, so one of them passed a few years ago from bone cancer. He, was, he, was, he wasn't a Christian, but I became pretty close with him through that. And Connor Ratzloff had had the same kind of cancers I had. So I feel like I've just grown a bond with him just based on that and just, he's helped me overcome it. And being in the church, he's really shown like, you can become those support to those people going through what you went through with the help of God. And people from the church came up and supported me, brought us food and just helped us a lot. It just really showed me of all the community we had in the church, as well as how much God cared about us to put those people in our lives to help us. It isn't easy to follow God, um, especially with all the people at school cussing and just not reflecting God at all. Uh, I've just tried to stay faithful to God and just follow him and I don't care what others think, but I'll just follow him. Um, if somebody was sitting in my seat right now and they had questions about who God is or where they can find him, I feel like just keep searching because you'll find him. If you really want to find God, you'll be able to find him because he loves you and he's waiting for you to come. 
So don't feel, don't be, don't feel scared to search for him because he loves you and he's waiting for you to come and join his family. Thanks to Braden for sharing his story with us. I love that here at Salem Alliance, we work to make this big place feel small by having some stories shared here. I also feel like Braden probably just preached the best sermon you're going to hear. So if some of you want to leave now, that's okay too. Uh, you know, if, don't be afraid to search for God, whether that's for the first time or whether it's at a need that you have in your life right now, because he's waiting for you to come. <laughs> Thanks, Braden, for the words of truth. So, as we've been preparing for this weekend, I've been thinking of times when the right person was at the right place at the right time. I was reminded of a, a trip that I took in 2004, uh, a women's trip from here. It was a short-term international trip, and we were visiting with some international workers in West Africa, and we were going to take women's retreats to them, so give them a break while they were serving. And so we went to two different countries in West Africa, and we took a team of women to do that. And as we formed that team, we were very strategic in who we took. We had a worship leader. We took a counselor, someone who could talk about the deeper things with our international partners. We had a couple of us who were speakers and teachers. We had a couple of us who were decorators and craft people. And, and we had one woman on the team who wasn't a teacher and she wasn't a crafter and she wasn't a worship leader, but she might've been the most appreciated member of the team. She was a hairstylist. <laughs> And for the women who live in West Africa who often have their husbands cut their hair, they were so grateful for a real haircut. Matter of fact, they may never remember anything I said, but I bet they remember the haircut. <laughs> or the team that went to Ecuador, it was a men's team that went to work and help build, uh, get things moving forward for a school that was being built there in Ecuador. And when they arrived on site, they found that the project was not as far forward as they had been promised it would be and the preparation wasn't in place and there really actually wasn't anything for them to do because the project was hung up on an engineering design problem. And it just so happened, coincidentally, that there was an engineer on the team. He says about that experience, he says, I felt confirmed that I was meant to be there when I was in a unique position to help with an unforeseen engineering design issue. Who knew that in Ecuador, when they went to kind of do grunt labor and help do construction work, that they would have an engineering design issue holding everything up and that somebody from Salem in the right place at the right time would be uniquely equipped for the need. Or a more recent trip, uh, some women were headed to West Africa and when they arrived, um, they were invited after they arrived in country, so this wasn't something that was planned. They were invited to go to a military base and to encourage wives of some military who had been deployed to a very dangerous area. And it just so happened, do you hear the air quotes in that? It just so happened that there were two women on this team from Salem Alliance whose husbands are involved in the military and who had been deployed to very dangerous places. And they were able to go not just with encouragement, but with specific and unique encouragement from the heart of a Christian woman, a Christian sister, who had been through something so very similar. See, God puts his people in the right place at the right time, uniquely equipped for the need. And that's what we're going to see as we unpack Esther today. If you've been here in recent weeks, you know that we're in a series called Connect the Dots. 
God's name is not written in the book of Esther, but his hand, his handprint, his fingerprints are all over what is happening in this story. And so we've been talking about connecting the dots, noticing where God is working even when we can't see him, even when we can't feel him, he's working. And how is he working in our lives if we believe that he has put us in this time and this place uniquely equipped for the needs that we will face? So we are going to read chapters 7 and 8 together in Esther. If you've been around, you know that this is an audience participation reading. So I really encourage you to get out the Pew Bible in front of you. We're on page 421. If you are following along on your phone or a device, you're going to want the New Living Translation. Otherwise, you will be booing and hissing at the wrong time. And that's just embarrassing. So... Um, just as a reminder for those who've been here, or if this is your first time in this series, uh, welcome. We're glad you're here today. Uh, we're going to read this with some additions from you as you follow along. So whenever I read the name Haman, he's the villain. We don't want to hear it. Just drown me out. When I read the name Mordecai or Esther, they are our heroes. Please just cheer to your heart. 9.30, the cheers were a little wimpy. I'm just throwing that out so you can see if you can do a little bit better. And I'm going to throw one more out at you that I know that you can handle 11 o'clock. I know that you've got this. There are some times in chapter 7 and 8 when it would be very appropriate to say, ouch. And I'm not going to tell you when those are because I really trust you to figure it out. It's pretty obvious, okay? So I want to hear the ouch when it makes sense to you. As we start reading, where we find our characters is that the Jewish people are in an impossible situation. A, an irrevocable edict has been sent out to all the provinces from India to Ethiopia, declaring a day when it is okay to murder and kill and annihilate anybody who's a Jew. It's an irrevocable order signed by the signet ring of the king, and so they're, they're doomed for destruction. Esther, who has had one audience with the king, invited him to a banquet and didn't put forth the problem. I've always wondered why a second banquet instead of, I don't have an answer. I've just always wondered. So there's been one banquet and not, no, nothing has changed from the banquet. And there's a 75-foot pole in Haman's front yard waiting for Mordecai. 75 feet is really high. Last week when Brian was preaching, I was, I was like, how high is 70? It's like a seven-story building. It's, it's, it's because Haman doesn't want anybody able to be able to miss the, uh, the extent of his power. It's something that nobody could miss. You could see this thing. So there's a poll waiting for Mordecai. They're in an impossible situation. We're going to read here starting in verse 1 of chapter 7 and find out how God is connecting these dots. So the king and Haman, good job, went to Queen Esther's. Nice banquet. On the second occasion, while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, Tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I will give it to you even if it is half the kingdom. Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. Ouch. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I would remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Pause there for a second. What kind of king is this that his people being sold into slavery would be too trivial of a matter to bother him? What kind of world did Esther live in? What kind of fear was there if this is the king that you're under? Hmm. 
Who would do such a thing, King Xerxes demanded? Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Esther replied, the wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. Then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out into the palace garden. Haman, however, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther, for he knew that the king intended to kill him. In despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining just as the king was returning from the palace garden. The king exclaimed, will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? And as soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face, signaling his doom. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. Then impale Haman on it, the king ordered. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. And the king's anger subsided. Hold on for about three verses, everybody. On the same day, King Xerxes gave the property of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther. Come on, let me hear it. Then Mordecai was brought before the king, for Esther had told the king how they were related. The king took off his signet ring, which he had taken back from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai to be in charge of Haman's property. Whew, he made it. Then Esther went again before the king, falling down at his feet and begging him with tears to stop the evil plot devised by Haman, the Agagite, against the Jews. Again, the king held out the gold scepter to Esther. So she rose and stood before him. Esther said, if it please the king and if I have found favor with him and if he thinks it is right and if I am pleasing to him, a king that has to be approached with so much fear with so many apologies, if it pleases him, so hard to please, quite frankly, so capricious. One of the things we need to notice and land on today is that we do not serve this kind of king. The king that we serve invites us into his presence. Not only does he invite us, but he says we can come without fear and total confidence before the throne of God because of the work of Jesus in our life. We do not have a king that we fear. We have a king who longs to work on our behalf. As Esther came before the king, she said, let there be a decree that reverses the orders of Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agadite, who ordered the Jews throughout all the king's provinces should be destroyed. For how can I endure to see my people and my family slaughtered and destroyed? Then King Xerxes said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, I have given Esther the property of Haman, and he has been impaled on a pole. Thank you. Because he tried to destroy the Jews. Now go ahead and send a message to the Jews in the king's name, telling them whatever you want, and seal it with the king's signet ring. But remember that whatever has already been written in the king's name and sealed with his signet ring can never be revoked. So on June 25th, the king's secretaries were summoned and a decree was written exactly as Mordecai dictated. It was sent to the Jews, to the highest officers, the governors, and the nobles of all the 127 provinces stretching from India to Ethiopia. The decree was written in the scripts and languages of all the peoples of the empire, including that of the Jews. The decree was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's signet ring. Mordecai 
sent the dispatches by swift messengers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king's service. The king's decree gave the Jews in every city authority to unite to defend their lives. They were allowed to kill, slaughter, and annihilate anyone of any nationality or province who might attack them or their children and wives and to take the property of their enemies. The day chosen for this event throughout all the provinces of King Xerxes was March 7th of the next year. Take note that that was actually yesterday. A copy of this decree was to be issued as law in every province and proclaimed to all peoples so that the Jews would be ready to take revenge on their enemies on the appointed day. So urged on by the king's command, the messengers rode out swiftly on fast horses bred for the king's service. The same decree was also proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. Then Mordecai left the king's presence wearing the royal robe of blue and white, the great crown of gold, and an outer cloak of fine linen and purple. And the people of Susa celebrated the new decree. The Jews were filled with joy and gladness and were honored everywhere. In every province and city, wherever the king's decree arrived, the Jews rejoiced and had a great celebration and declared a public festival and holiday. And many of the people of the land became Jews themselves, for they feared what the Jews might do to them. What an amazing reversal. What a crazy turnaround. This whole story that does not have God's name written in the pages has God's fingerprints all over it as he sets the stage to deliver his people. Let's look at our connect the dots that we've been looking at through these weeks. There's lots of dots of the sermons that came before of how God put things in place to make a way for this moment. But what we saw today was that Esther received the favor of the king. And it wasn't that she just received his favor, but she remained in his favor. This king that was capricious, that was scary, that was not easy to please, she was still pleasing to him. That's the hand of God at work in this story. We know that Haman's plot was uncovered, finally and fully and completely, and Haman died because of it. So he's now out of the picture. King Xerxes honors Mordecai. Not only does he honor him, but he promotes him and he takes that signet ring, the symbol of his power and authority, and he takes it from Haman and he gives it to Mordecai, setting Mordecai up as one who would have the ability now to save the Jewish people. And that's what we see is that Mordecai's decree saves the Jews, saves their people, because God was at work behind the scenes. They were totally flipped from chaos to joy. How the scene has changed from chapter three when after this decree first went out and the king and Haman sat down and had a drink together while all of Susa was in confusion. And now we've got Haman on his own pole, ouch. We've got Mordecai promoted and holding the king's signet ring and we have a second decree on its way out that it gives the Jews the ability to defend themselves and we have the redemption of God's people. The Jewish community and culture celebrates this still with a feast called Purim. And actually, Purim is tomorrow and Tuesday. Uh, Monday and Tuesday, March 9th and 10th, is when this is celebrated this year, which is cool that it falls in with where we're at in our series. So how did this happen? How did this amazing reversal happen? And one of the things I want us to look at today is that someone was in the right place at the right time, uniquely equipped for the need. Let's look at Esther. Esther was strikingly beautiful. And it wasn't just that she happened that way. It was that God created her that way. One of the questions that we ask when we look at this story and we say, where is God working? Where can we see the hand of God in this? Part of what I see is that God was working in his creation of Esther in the first place. 
God was working in how he made her because Esther was strikingly beautiful. We know that because when the king's messengers went out to gather women who would compete for the crown and the title of queen, they brought Esther in. So something about her physical appearance was strikingly beautiful. But we also know that once she was in the palace and she was in the harem, that the officials took notice of her and they gave her special care. Why? I wonder if there was something so winsome about Esther. Something that drew other people to her beyond her physical beauty was an inner beauty. God had created Esther in a way that drew people to herself. And as such, she was uniquely poised as the queen to have the favor with the king at the time when her people would need it. God created Mordecai. Mordecai had a different skill set than Esther. Mordecai was stuck out at the gate. He was out in the king's courtyard, but he was networking. When you think about networking nowadays, I think social media and Facebook and, and, and blog, all those things that we do to network and get to know people. And yet, in their day, I believe that, Mordecai, that, that networking was sitting at the king's gate. <laughs> talking to the people who came in, talking to the people who went out, getting to know them and their stories. Did you notice that when Mordecai needed to get a message to Esther, he had no access to the palace, but he knew who to get in touch with and who to send. He knew the slaves that would be in touch with the women who were in the harem. He knew he had connections. He had his ear to the ground. Mordecai was a strategic thinker and a problem solver, and he was created that way by God to be at the king's gate at that time to be uniquely equipped for the need that would arise for the Jewish people. And friends, God does this for you and I. God has given you and I a personality and some strengths and skill sets, along with, through the power of his Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts that he says he supernaturally gives us for the building of his kingdom and the building up of his church. God has put these things in you and he's put them in me for the time and the place that we live. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians. 2 verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Friends, before you were born, God knew what would be happening today in your life and he placed in you what you would need for the area of influence that he knew that you would have right now. God created us to be the people in the place in the time where he knew that we would be needed. He's also in the timing. It is not a coincidence that Esther was born at the time that she was born. It is not a coincidence that Jesus walked the earth during the time of the Romans and that the disciples are the people that he picked and walked with and trained and built his church. And it's not a coincidence that you and I were born in the generation that we were born in with the people that are our family, the people that are our sphere of influence, whether that's work or school or ministry or your neighborhood or the gym where you work out. The, the skill set and the gifts and the person that God created in you and the timing that he created you matters. Here's what it says in Psalm 39, 16. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God is in the timing. God is in his creation because God sets his people in the right place at the right time, uniquely equipped for the needs. Friends, you are the person that God created for this time and this place, and you are uniquely equipped for the need that he knows that you are facing. It's said another way here 
in Esther 4.14. So it was earlier in this story when, when the news of this edict first came out and Mordecai sent a message to Esther and said, you need to approach the king. And she got back to him and said, uh-uh, because you can't approach the king unless you've been summoned or he could kill you. He has to extend his scepter and basically grant you forgiveness for coming into his presence. Again, what a king. <laughs> And she says no, and, and Mordecai gets back to her, and this is what he says. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. It's a classic phrase that we're going to lean into today, because just as Esther had a just such a time as this moment, you and I, in our lives, have just such a time as this moment. In the people who took a risk on a short-term international trip, showing up at a time and a place when there was just such a time as this moment where they were able to bring refreshing or a haircut or encouragement that was specific or a unique skill that the project needed. Or Braden. I think about, he named Connor Ratzlaff as a young man who'd been through the same kind of cancer. And Connor was willing to spend time with Braden and to encourage a kid who was in a difficult time or the people that you know in your life that you have seen walk in and hit it out of the park in a just such a time as this moment. Or you, some of you have known the joy of being used by God, of recognizing that there was this place in time and space when you were there and God used who you were to bring his healing or his hope, his wisdom and the teaching or his comfort and his confidence. I don't know what it is where you are intersecting your world, but God is using you where you're at. How do we live into our for such a time as these moments, whether they are big or small, whether they feel overwhelming or insignificant? How do we day by day live into what God has put around us in the places that he knew we would be living and existing? And I think it's a lot like creek walking. So I used to be a counselor at Canyon View Camp a whole lifetime ago. Matter of fact, uh, you have animal names at Canyon View, and I know that there are some of you in the room who first met me as giraffe 30 years ago. It's just one of those things that doesn't change, right? And one of the things that we did with kids out at Canyon View was that we went creek walking. And one of the things I learned about creek walking right away is you do it carefully or you end up much wetter than you meant to be. <laughs> and so when you're creek walking and you take a step, you, you find a rock and you place your foot on the rock gently, and then you transfer a little bit of your weight to see if the rock is stable. If the rock isn't stable, you can pull your foot back and try another rock. And if it is stable, you get the rest of your weight on it, and then you're ready to take the next step. You creek walk one step at a time. And I think that's how we lean into these for such a time as this moments in our life, whether they feel overwhelming or whether they feel insignificant, because it's just one step at a time. Friends, one of the things that we have that Esther and Mordecai didn't have, we have the Holy Spirit given to us, living in us as a temple of God. We have the ability to ask God, God, show me what you're doing and give me the courage to partner with you in what you're doing. We can put out our foot on a rock and say, God, is this what you're doing? And if, if it doesn't go the way we think or if we don't have a sense of confidence from God, we can take a step back and try another rock. But one step at a time, we will be living into things that were created for us before the foundation of the world because God knew the good works that he wanted to do through you and through me. So how do we take this one step at a time journey? And the first one is this. We need to acknowledge our resistance. We need to acknowledge our resistance. When there is a call from God on our life, there will be challenge. 
There will be, sometimes the enemy will bring confusion. Maybe we won't be able to see clearly what it is that we need to do. Just like Esther, who was afraid for her life, there will be resistance. And we need to acknowledge that resistance and invite God in to give us a willing spirit. Invite God to give us courage where we've been afraid. Invite God to give us peace where we've had anxiety. Invite God to give us clarity of mind where we've had confusion, but we acknowledge that there is resistance and we invite God presence. Maybe your resistance sounds something like this. No one will listen to me. I don't have a voice. I don't have a platform. No one would listen to me. And so we don't speak the truth that God has given us to speak. Maybe your resistance is like Esther. It could cost me my and fill in the blank. For Esther, it was like, could cost me my life. For you, it might be, it could cost me my friendship with this person. It could cost me my reputation. It could cost me financially. It, friends, I don't know what the one step is that God is laying on your heart. It might be that you need to take a step of integrity. It might be that you need to stand for some moral values. It might be a relationship that has broken down and your one step, you know that God has laid on your heart is that you need to be the first one to take the step and try to restore this relationship. And you need to own the part that is yours and you need to apologize and ask forgiveness. And you're going, but that could cost me pain. What if it doesn't restore the relationship? What if I put myself out there and the other person doesn't reciprocate? There are costs associated with these steps when the steps are lined up with who God is and his kingdom. And we need to count those costs, look at them realistically, and then ask God to give us a willing spirit to step out anyway. I don't know if the step is in your job or your school, or your home. Maybe you're a young person and God's asking you to be nice to somebody who's not being nice to you. I don't know what your step is, but I know that we need to acknowledge our resistance and we need to appreciate where God has placed us. We need to appreciate where God has placed us. I think so often our first response is to compare our placement with others. Well, their life is easier, or their family is pulled together, or they have the job that I wanted, or we compare our place and we're wanting to be somewhere other than where God has placed us. Friends, God will use what is going on in our place to turn what the enemy means for evil into his good. If we will appreciate and embrace and walk with gratitude in the place that God has placed us, we will be able to see better what it is that he placed us here to do and who to influence. We need to accept that the influence we have is what God has given us, whether that's big or small. Some of you are walking with more influence than you expected, and it's over your head and you're overwhelmed, and you're wondering, God, how do I do this? And some of you are walking with less influence than you would like, and you're wondering, God, do I matter? Do you even see me? Am I on the back burner? And I would say that God has placed you in the place that you are for a purpose that he sees for you. Think about what Braden said in his testimony. I don't know if you caught this, but he said, whenever I was impatient, how's that for a place that none of us would like to be? <laughs> whenever I was impatient, I walked the halls to tell people that God loved them so that maybe they could have the peace that I had. That is somebody who gets this, who gets that we appreciate the place that we are and we look around for where God is moving in that place and we find out how we can join him in his plan. I want to pause and give a special word here to those of you who are parents with kids who are still in your home. 
Some of you have gone to college, maybe even gotten your master's degree, and you're now juggling your job and your household. Some of you have chosen to set aside your career and to push pause on that to stay home with your children, some fathers and some mothers. And I want to speak this word to you. You are not on the back burner. You are not waiting to have purpose. You're not waiting for your strengths to have a use again for when your kids grow and then you have time to volunteer in ministry or have a job again or be out in the community more. Friends, when you change that diaper, when you carpool that teenager, when you feed that child, when you keep that human alive, you are changing the world. And you need to catch this. You are changing the world. I think about my kids. They're now 18, 17, and 13, and I'm starting to catch a glimpse of what kind of world changers they will be. It was my job to keep them alive, (laughs) and now it's God's job to launch them into who he created them to be. If you are creating a home with a stable space where those kids feel secure in your love and in your protection and in your provision, you are changing the world. I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about a few people who have made the biggest difference in your life. The biggest influencers. Those who touched a chord in your heart at some point and you remember them. Do you have a name or a face in mind? I'd be willing to bet that very few of you are thinking of Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, or Martin Luther King, as amazing as they are. I think more of you, like me, are thinking of Mrs. Daniels and the first grade Sunday school teacher whose name you can't remember, or maybe buzzard out at Canyon View Camp. Everyday people, in the place that God has placed them, using what he has given them to change the world. We acknowledge our resistance, we appreciate where God has placed us, and we accept our strengths and our weaknesses. We accept our strengths and our weaknesses. Friends, there are things that God created you with that your world needs, and sometimes we hesitate to step out in the fullness of our strength because we're afraid that that's prideful. And can I just say that there is a world of difference between being conceited and being confident. And God is calling us to walk out with confidence in what he created us for. Esther stepped into the king's presence with confidence, knowing that God would connect the dots and that if I perish, I perish. But she was putting her life in God's hands. She took the one step that she had because of the favor that she had found with the king. Mordecai was sending messages back and forth, and yet they both had a weakness, didn't they? We walk in our weakness with humility because humility enables us to keep our relationships good as we come and say, I didn't handle that very well. I could have done that different. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? See, think about Esther for a minute. We, we read today in chapter 8, verse 5, that she threw herself before the king, and if I'm pleasing, and if it is right, and if you are pleased with me, and do you remember what she asked? She said, would you revoke the edict that was sent out that would annihilate the Jews? Esther didn't even know that an edict that had been signed by the king and sealed with his signet ring couldn't be revoked. Friends, her training in the harem was not political. 
It was not about international relations or conflict management. She didn't know the basics of the political system of her time that an edict of the king couldn't be revoked. Here's what I'm trying to get at. Esther did not have what it takes to stop a genocide. She didn't. She didn't. I've always wondered why she called for that second banquet, and I wonder if it's because she didn't at the first banquet know what to ask the king to do. Esther didn't have what it took, but even though she knew that she didn't have what it took, she took her one step, and God connected the dots. And then there's Mordecai. What was his weakness? He had no access to the king. He had a network of people at the gate, out in the courtyard. He knew what needed to happen. He understood how to stop the genocide, but he had no way to tell the king. And in his obedience to the steps that he could see in sending messages back and forth with the people that were at his disposal, he then got an invitation into the king's presence because God connected the dots for them. Friends, we need to accept our strengths and our weaknesses and recognize that they are all a part of being the right person at the right time, in the right place, equipped for the need that is before us. They took the one step they could see and God connected the dots. There's a great theologian who said something that really fits well here. We're gonna look at this quote. The great theologian, John Wooden, don't let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. Friends, don't let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. Acknowledging your resistance, asking Holy Spirit to open your eyes to what he's doing and give you the courage and the willing spirit to engage with him in what he's doing. Accepting and appreciating where God has placed you and looking around in that place to see why did he place you uniquely there and accepting that both your strengths and your weaknesses play into what God needs in this moment. And sometimes he's gonna do it with a team of people and not just with you. Rob, one of the pastors on staff here who served overseas for a long time, shares that in the place where he worked, for a person of the majority religion to come to know Jesus took on average nine contact points with various Christian people to come to become a Christ follower. Nine contact points, you guys. As you take your one step to influence the world around you, you don't know if that's the first contact point or the third or the fifth or the eighth. And some of us get to be the ninth and see the fruit of what God is doing. But how often do we take our step and we don't get to see the fruit and yet we trust that God is connecting the dots in front of us because that is who he is. We don't know what step will make the difference. We don't know how it ends, but don't let that stop you from starting and taking your one step. So I want to end today with a question and a challenge. The question is this, what is your next step? Some of you already know it's weighing heavy on your heart and you know this is the thing that God has been talking to me about and this is the thing that he's asking me to do. And can I just say, even if you can't see how it'll work out, even if you can't see the end result, take that step See if the rock is steady and trust God to connect the dots for what your next steps might be. Some of you don't know what that is, and I would say then maybe your next step is to ask him, Holy Spirit, where are you working, and how would you have me partner with you? Ask him to give you clarity in what that next step is. But whatever it is, here's my challenge, friends. Go take it. <laughs> Go take it. Don't let this weekend pass 
with some nice thoughts while you were sitting in the worship center and not do the thing that God has laid on your heart to do. And if you are afraid, if you have resistance, if you are worried about it, then ask God to meet you in that place. Remember the Father. And Jesus said, if you believe, I can heal your son. And he said, I do believe. Now help now my unbelief. (laughs) That's a next step. A prayer is a next step. So go take it. Never let how it looks today. Remember how it looked when we started reading? It looked impossible. Never let how it looks today steal your hope for tomorrow. And don't let how it looks today keep you from stepping out in what you can do. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're going to finish by reading a prayer together. It's a prayer that's familiar to many of you. And as I've been processing this week, I just think it catches the heart of what it means to do what we can do and release to God what we can't do. So pray out loud with me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.